Welcome entrepreneurs and startups to Art of the Kickstart, the podcast that every entrepreneur needs to listen to before you launch. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president and founder of Inventus Partners, the world's only turnkey product launch company that has helped over 2,000 innovations successfully raise over $400 million in capital since 2010. Each week, I interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level. This show would not be possible without our main sponsor, Product Hype a 300,000 member crowdfunding media site and newsletter that's generated millions of dollars in sales for over a thousand top tier projects since 2017. Check out producthype.co to subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today, I am super excited because I am speaking with the co-founders of Hella Roller, Chris Knudsen and Ken Free. Chris, Ken, really excited to have you guys on the show and talk all about Hella Roller today. Thanks Great for having us, man. Here. We're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's tell our audience, give a little bit of background about Hella Roller as if I've never heard it or seen it before. Cool. Ken, you want to take that away or do you want me to? Sure. I'll, I'll give a little background then. We'd love to hear the story of just, you know, where the idea came from, but quickly, Hello Roller is an adjustable, expandable, interchangeable muscle roller. Muscle and back rollers have been around for a long time. Everybody's super familiar with that product, but the thing that makes Hello Roller unique is the fact that it can adjust to any body type and any muscle need. So you can reach those like hard to get to places and so you can customize your role for you, depending on you know where things are sore or not. And so we have three different types of rollers that you can attach to the roller. There's kind of your standard foam roller. There's a what we call the Rocky Roller, which is designed for sort of a pressure point of massage. And then we have a patented Precision Roller, which is a customer favorite and digs in really deep uh, for those extra sore spots. So that's what the Hello Roller is, and, and Chris would love. You know, if you'd share just kind of how Hello Roller came to be. Yeah, for sure. And and also too, it's kind of Hello Roller is one of those things where it's a really demonstrable product. It's actually kind of hard to talk about. And so you want to go over to Kickstarter and just search Hello Roller one word uh, to to see some video and uh, other media there that explains, uh, or I should say, shows how uh, how the product works. Ken gave a great explanation there, but it's it's great to kind of see it in action. But I would say that uh, where Hello Roller got its start was uh, deep in the pandemic in uh, April, May of last year. Uh, I, I was using a uh, off-the-shelf uh, yoga roller that another company produces. I won't say what that, that roller is, but um, I was using that roller because I was finding that uh, my back was really seizing up on me uh, during during Zooms and, and those types of video conferences that I had switched over to completely like most people in the United States at that time for work. Right. So my back was hurting and i found that utilizing a traditional roller or uh, laying on this yoga roller, yoga rollers are typically about five inches wide. So it was really trying to get in between my shoulder blades uh, and get it up my spine. It just, it wasn't fixing like the stiffness and the soreness in my back. So I had this idea if I, I, as I was looking at this roller, I was like, if I could just adjust this roller a little bit more, make it a little bit wider, or a little bit skinnier, I might actually be getting into the parts of my back that, that are actually really hurting. So I jumped on Amazon because I wanted to see if there was something there that, 
that met that need. And I found, I think at the time there was like 60 pages of rollers of exercise rollers, muscle rollers on Amazon. And I was like, wow, you know, I was like, uh, I, I just kind of kept going through the pages and just seeing what was there. And before I knew it, I had gone, gone through like all 60 pages of these rollers on Amazon. And I didn't see anyone that, that really fit the need that I was looking for. So uh, I reached out to uh, a friend of ours, Peter Lemon, who's he's our third partner. He's not with us right now on this call, but he owns a company uh, called Ascend Global that specializes in manufacturing uh, and product development of these types of products. I reached out to him. I told him the idea. I just went, put it on the whiteboard and I said, hey, do you think we could do this? And uh, he's like, absolutely. I think it's a killer idea. There's probably a lot of stuff here that's patentable, which we found out later that there were uh, things that were patentable about the device. Uh, and quickly thereafter, uh, I, I invited Ken uh, into, into this as well. And we really looked to Ken to be the CEO of this business. Um, I'm not the CEO of the company intentionally, even though I kind of was the inventor and thought of the idea of, of the product, really set it up in, in such a way that uh, Ken, would, Ken would really run Hellroller. So, so I'm sorry, that's the long explanation of, uh, of, of really the impetus of where this product came from. No, it's beautiful. I think what's also helpful for context for the audience is to talk a little bit about both of your individual backgrounds and how you guys ended up coming together on this. Yeah, for sure. Ken, do you want to start there? Yeah. So I've done a, a lot of entrepreneurial uh, companies and projects over the years. Um, even starting in college, I started a couple of software businesses. And so I've, I've done several software ventures, venture-backed companies, and Currently, I uh, lead uh, products. I've led products to a couple of different companies. So mostly software is my background. Hello Roller is one of my first ventures into the physical, you know, product space, and it's been fun to take, you know, a lot of the lessons that I've learned in, you know, prototype and design, and iteration from the software world, and apply that to to Hello Roller and to a physical product. And I first met Chris actually. When I was in college, uh, I was an intern for Chris. You know, th this was many years ago, and so over the years, like he and I have stayed in touch, and and have just, you know, he's been a good mentor to me. I, I've sought his advice on a lot of things, and and we've done some projects together. And so, Hell Roller was a really cool opportunity for us to come together and uh, actually partner on on something. So that's how how we met, and my background in software uh, product leading up to this. And I I think that. For me, the most interesting interesting thing, Roy, for about my my on my background is um, that might be really pertain a lot to what we're talking about here is I was the first chief marketing officer at Purple Mattress, and so before Purple Mattress existed, I was hired by Purple to come in and help them work on the launch strategy of the business and figure out how to take that market. Uh, I'm sorry, that product to market. And it was, uh, it was a really interesting experience because uh, Purple is kind of a case study at this point now. As a matter of fact, there's an actual case study that Google has done on Purple and the effectiveness of uh, video, video in marketing. And so I was the, the chief marketing officer at Purple. Um, the key to our success was utilization of direct response video uh, in social platforms. Like at the time, it was really strong Facebook, but now that's really expanded into a lot of other areas. Uh, I got to the point where I had so many people that were coming to me and saying, how, how did you do it at Purple? What happened there to cause the success uh, that came about there that my partner and I, who's also from Purple, um, his name's Dan Bischoff, 
uh, we decided to start our own agency where we worked with companies, specifically e-commerce businesses that were really trying to figure out how to crack the code to um, utilizing video in direct response advertising on social platforms like Facebook, Instagram. Now TikTok is extremely large, but even in non-traditional platforms like television, uh, connected TV is really interesting because there's a big rise that is, that's occurring there right now as well. But we uh, focus really specifically on uh, direct response video, really short form, 30 seconds or less. Uh, we have a very, we have a, a very stringent methodology that we follow that uh, produces a lot of success. We work with some fairly sizable companies. We have Harley Davidson's e-bike division. We work with companies like Casper in the mattress space, Tepper Sealy. And so we, and then a lot of really cool product companies that are smaller than those big kind of fortune 500 companies. Right. So, um, so we started that business that's called Stoic Yeti, which is a, a lot of fun. That's kind of my day job is Stoic Yeti and working with a lot of those clients. But uh, Stoic has also done, you know, a lot of video work on this Kickstarter campaign with Hello Roller. Uh, I, I leaned on my team there really heavy also in just kind of the marketing, the product development side to uh, to help us to be able to take this thing out to market and probably will be going a lot heavier in the world of Stoic Yeti as we come out of the Kickstarter and start to go into the world of like, how do we just go and market this thing in platforms like TikTok or, you know, Instagram, YouTube, all these other platforms. So, so that's my background as well. Incredible backgrounds. Obviously, you guys are uh, set up to deliver very successfully in terms of bringing this product to market. I remember interviewing uh, someone on the Purple team. I think it was Savannah back then. Yeah. This was like five years ago now on talking about you know turning Kickstarter purple. Uh, so for all those listeners, go back and listen to podcast episode 167 uh, to get the whole backstory on the Purple campaign because it was truly amazing in terms of raising over $2 million on Kickstarter at the time for the product. Yeah, and that was the Pillow campaign. Yep. Um, I did the original Kickstarter at Purple, which was the, the mattress itself. And we had this mandate from the founders. They were like, hey, if you can sell like a hundred mattresses on Kickstarter, then we'll invest the rest of the money that you want for the marketing campaign. And so, uh, so the success of purple, like really came from that initial Kickstarter, which was if we wouldn't have sold a hundred mattresses, we, we might not have actually gotten purple, right? Because that was the mandate to get the budget to really go do the work that we wanted to do on the marketing side. Uh, and so the Kickstarter work, I think we actually sold 200 mattresses on that first one. And then of course, Purple built a pretty massive list. So going out to Kickstarter again later and on the Pillow campaign uh, and having a really big Kickstarter uh, with all of the marketing backing up that Kickstarter, I think that Purple already had in place uh, was was it just was a formula for success, for success. I think what's really unique too, Chris, is we usually don't dive in much on the show in terms of the creative aspects of Kickstarter in terms of the photography, the asset creations, as well as the video. And since you're an expert in these direct response videos, I think you guys did an absolutely amazing job with the video itself. So is there some sort of formulaic breakdown of things that you guys are seeing success in when putting together creatives to you know, directly sell consumable products, whether they be Kickstarter or not? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And it's actually, I think one of the things, one of the learnings that we're getting from the Kickstarter campaign is that I think I'm going to say one of the big values I think that we've gained from the campaign is that we're, we're learning that we could be positioning this a lot better than we positioned it. Right. So like the video quality is really good. And a lot of things we did in the video are great. Um, we worked with another team on the video, the team at creatively, which is awesome. They're great guys, good friends of ours. 
that specialize in video production work. And as I look at the video, as I guess Ken and I have all looked at the video, we're like, yeah, it's really good. But I think there's some things we could have done here a little bit differently on positioning that will that we will do ultimately uh, as we go into the more direct response um, type of campaign. But that formula, you know, in video and video creative, video creative is really kind of where it begins and ends uh, in, in, in terms of your advertising, if it's going to live or die, which is what we learned by iterating hundreds and hundreds of videos at, at Purple, right? I mean, we would take a video, we would spend a lot of money on it, plug it in a platform. If it didn't work, we would throw it away, right? And there was a point where we were like, hey, is that really a smart idea or should we just be sitting down and examining why the video didn't work and then maybe re-editing that video, different value propositions, different problem statements, different calls to action, different benefit statements, and then testing different versions of that video and platform to see if we can actually go get it to work. And that, that was really what Stoic Yeti was born out of was that testing methodology and really sitting down and working on getting video to produce for you because video production is so expensive and companies don't want to spend money on video production, which I don't blame them. It's just extremely expensive, right? So if you can make your existing assets work by recutting it, re-editing it, and you have a really good media team that understands how to buy how to buy plat in platforms like Facebook and Instagram, there's almost nothing that you can do with existing content. Uh, that the possibilities are endless to really go out and get some stuff to work. As a matter of fact, we've taken a lot of existing content that didn't work for a client and we've turned it around and turned it into like high producing, high return on ad spend type content. So that's actually kind of the magic formula. And I think we'll end up doing a lot on Hello Roller as well with this regard. As a matter of fact, I, I, all weekend long, I was kind of sitting down and thinking we have a big meeting as a team on Wednesday to talk about our next phase of video that we're going to do here. And I was laying out for that meeting, all of the video that I think we need to go cut um, that we didn't cut on this first round that I think really could actually be helping us in uh, this Kickstarter right now that we don't have. So it, that video and really nailing it in that video messaging, but also having a plan in place above and beyond uh, the initial video, especially if it doesn't work, right? Having a plan in place to get it to go work, I think is a, ex extremely important. And that's really where we focus. Yeah. And I think another really key nugget that you dropped, Chris, earlier was the fact that you're taking all of these learnings from launching this campaign, getting audience feedback and seeing why or why not are they backing or supporting or when are they dropping off the video? Why are we losing them? And then you're able to then pivot and make adjustments, whether that be during the active campaign, but also, you know, this product is going to live long after the crowdfunding project ends. And that gives you the opportunity to take those learnings and insights and act upon them and produce new creative around those insights. Yeah, I have a client that um, I, I won't say who they are just so I can protect them from a data standpoint, but their Kickstarter did maybe $40,000, which, which isn't a huge Kickstarter. I mean, everybody has these dreams of doing you know, these Kickstarters that are millions and millions of dollars. And they told us, they said, look, the thing on the Kickstarter that was most valuable to us is we learned a lot about how we were positioning our product and that it wasn't really resonating with consumers. So we changed that up to go and test it. And it's funny now we're working with these guys. And I think I looked at their uh, their Shopify yesterday, they're like $46,000 yesterday on that one day. So it was like, hey, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the Kickstarter generated $40,000 over uh, a 30 day period. We had really good learning. We pivoted on the messaging and we started testing and we started getting some things to work. And then they brought us in and we started working with them on that as well. But, you know, it, it that Kickstarter dollar amount really wasn't indicative of, of if this, the product was going to be a success or not. It was just, it was a good place to start to understand 
if that messaging is working, but right now it's killing it. Right. I mean, you know, it's, I think that product, especially over the black Friday holiday, will do a hundred thousand dollars a day, no problem uh, in Shopify. And, uh, and it really is coming back to that learning that really came out of the Kickstarter and the pivoting and messaging and then the testing methodology being implemented there. That's just being, it's just working really well right now. No, it's beautiful. So in terms of reflection, I know we've got the active Kickstarter campaign running right now. What might you have done differently in terms of maybe some of the preparation work in terms of leading up to the campaign and getting it launched out there um, that you'll do the next time around? Um, I have, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. Ken, did you want to go on that? I was yeah. talking a lot. I no, that's great. I, I, it's funny because we're we're doing. I think we're actually in the process of self-reflecting on that now, and the campaign's still active. So, again, we hope folks out there will go and visit it and support us. In preparation for it, though, we were really pushing to get the Kickstarter campaign launched uh, and and completed before Black Friday, just because you know as Black Friday approaches, there tends to be a lot of noise out there with other products and and just everyone's normal you know, holiday season. And so we were condensed timeline trying to do a lot of things. And so some of the testing that, you know, Chris has talked about, I think we may, you know, might've had a little bit more time to do some of that uh, ahead of, you know, the campaign, because I, I think there's a lot of times we think we know what's going to resonate with people. But, you know, one thing I've learned in my career is that like, whenever, whenever you actually launch something, you find out that you almost never know what's going to resonate. And so really the only way to find out is to, you know, produce that stuff, get it in front of customers and, and see how they respond. And so, you know, going back and doing it again, you know, in a perfect world, we'd probably do even more of that testing, you know, prior to a, a Kickstarter launch. I think we would also just create a lot more use case type video. Uh, we had the idea to go and do that beforehand, but we thought maybe what we had in the video that we produced for the Kickstarter video itself might be enough. But as I look back on that, I don't think it is. I think we probably should have done an in-gym using the roller, uh, which we have access to. We have access to a lot of people who like tested the roller for us to go get those people, put them in a gym that we have access to, film it on even iPhones. Um, User-generated content filmed on like an iPhone performs extremely well in ads, right? Uh, At least we see that. We see that all day long at Stoic Yeti where produced content that's extremely expensive oftentimes does not outperform user-generated content that's genuine, uh, that's interesting to watch uh, and tells your story better than you can tell it. Uh, And I think if we would have done a little bit more of that on the outset, I think we would be seeing some different results here as well. So um, uh, even so, I think the learnings that we're getting from this are extremely valuable and will carry us into the next phase. So just out of my own curiosity, I have my own thoughts around this, but why do you think, you know, the low produced volume from an iPhone or an Android works better than the high quality produced, you know, content that you guys put together for the crowdfunding video. Yeah, that's, that's easy. Um, just kind of in general overall philosophy on that is that a consumer doesn't believe a brand when the brand tells its own story, but they believe people uh, utilizing their own uh, way of making that content, which is usually on something like an iPhone, they'll believe that person as a user of the product and their testimonial uh, over a brand any day of the week. Cause a brand is obviously, if I tell you how great I am, you're going to believe me that I'm that great. No, of course not. Right. But if other people are telling you, Hey, that guy's actually really good at this thing or that thing, you're probably going to have a lot more, uh, it's a lot more of uh, it's that third party validation, right. That, that comes with it, that, um, just brings a lot more validity. Uh, that's what I think works about that type of content. Yeah. I mean, I think also it just looks more natural in their field, yep. right. 
totally. 100%. Yeah, it just matches up with the type of content that people are already producing anyway inside of those social platforms, especially like TikTok is super interesting. We're doing a lot of work now in TikTok that a year ago we weren't doing, right? Um, and that platform is starting to mature uh, in terms of the user base and like the advertising application there that you can use is starting to really mature. And I have a feeling that a lot of marketing dollars are going to be going to user-generated content into platforms like TikTok, even over like Instagram, which is a really mature platform at this point, right? So, um, so you're right. It's just that it's just it just looks a lot more authentic and a lot more genuine. So I recently saw Snap's earnings get crushed recently because the iOS update has failed oh, to yeah. you know, basically <laughs> allow them to attribute ad sales dollars from a marketer standpoint. Are you not seeing that on TikTok? Uh, we're, TikTok is kind of so new from the ad perspective side, like like the ad platform side, that we don't know, frankly, like uh, it, what effect that's really having um, just in the TikTok platform because it's really different. Um, and so we're trying to f- kind of figure our way out through that right now, the answer to that question, Roy. What we do see is we have some clients where that hasn't been an issue at all. Like that iOS 14.5 update hasn't been an issue at all. And others where we look at it and we're like, holy cow, we've got to go back and look at other metrics or we've got to try to align with like say Google Analytics um, and what that's saying uh, to see if we can get some alignment here in data. Because I'm sure you guys are seeing this as well in your world. Um, there's times where you look at data in Facebook right now for Facebook and Instagram, and you're like, what's going on here, right? But fortunately, um, I think what this means, the iOS 14.5 update means is that content is now even more important um, than it was before. And if you're producing really good content, uh, you're going to get good results, really. And if you're testing that content and you're not just hanging your hat on one thing and throwing it out there and just you know spraying and praying, then you're probably going to be in a pretty good position to win. I, I do think there's a point in the future where we're going to upload content to Facebook, uh, platforms like Facebook and Instagram. We're going to upload content there and um, the, the AI is going to do the rest of the work. Right? We have media buyers now who do that work, but I, and I don't know how far out this is, but it will be at some point, uh, maybe even in the near future, where you're just like, hey, upload your content. What is it? Who are you trying to talk to? Okay, great. We'll take it from here. And the AI will basically do the work for you. Is that scary to you? Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, it's kind of awesome because humans sometimes we're, we're guessing. And, and iOS 14.5 has blinded us a little bit to on the reporting side to really understanding what's going on. So even if the, AI, if the AI wasn't telling me like, well, this is, you know, what we're seeing that's producing the result, I'm, I might be inclined to believe it if I'm seeing on the output on the other side, like a Shopify or Google Analytics was verifying and I might be very inclined to say, well, that's probably okay then, right? Right. Now, it's really interesting, obviously, the uh, the dynamics of how the advertising world is evolving and the future of robots and all of this. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Well, listen, guys, this has been awesome. This is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire questions at the both of you. So are you both ready to go? We're ready. Sure. Ken's going first because he's more ready than me. There we go. All right, let's do this. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? For me, it's always been about controlling my own destiny. I just love, you know, if there's there's something I want to see happen or there's a life that I want to have for myself, like being an entrepreneur allows me to pursue that and and to make it happen. If if you're not an entrepreneur, like that, that's that can be a great life too, but it's you're less in control that way. And so maybe it's maybe it's that I'm a control freak. I don't know, but I love being in control of my own destiny. 
I think for me, it's um, 12 years ago, I, I quit my last like full-time job, which was I was the chief marketing officer at SEO.com. And that's actually where my partner, Dan, on the Stoic Yeti side and I met was there. That's where we first met. Uh, and I, when I quit that job to go start consulting and marketing and being outsourced CMO, which is where this started and then it rolled up into these other things that I do now, I told myself, I'm like, I'm never going to have a real job ever again. Like, I just don't want to have a real job ever again. And you know, I kind of set some parameters in place for myself. I had to make a certain amount of money and do certain things. And my wife was very supportive of that. And uh, I can look back and say it's worked really well for the last 12 years. Uh, and so now I'm trying to make it work even better for the next 12 years, right? Which is why we need a lot of support on our Kickstarter or one of them, right? So, so yeah, that's, that's where I come from. Nice. So if you guys could meet any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? For me, that's an easy one. I would love to meet the Wright brothers. Uh, I I loved uh, my my favorite book is is uh, the Wright brothers biography by David McCullough, and mm. it's so fascinating to me because I feel like that is the best book ever written on entrepreneurship and actually creating a product. Because as you read that, I mean they they were you know bicycle makers, and there were other people that were a lot more well funded than they were trying to create an airplane. Um, they just had an incredible passion for it. And the process that they went through to actually create flight was incredible. I mean, they started by observing birds in the sky, and then they were flying kites, and then they built a glider, and then they built, you know, the, the first plane, and then they built a plane with an engine. And, and just the iterative process that they went through was super inspiring to me. And then also just seeing, like, how quickly their invention, the, you know, the airplane went from them out in a field to planes were being used in war, you know, just, just a... 20, 30 years later or whatever. So incredible book about entrepreneurship that I, that I love. So I, I would want to meet the Wright brothers. Mine's really similar, actually. Someone who benefited from the Wright brothers endeavors, which is Howard Hughes. Uh, I'd really be interested in meeting Howard Hughes. I think he kind of encompasses all of that crazy, extraordinary risk-taking that goes into entrepreneurship. And so anyway, I, I'll, I have a couple others that I would name too, but I, th I think I'll, I'll just stick with him. Nice. So, Ken, what would have been your first question for the Wright brothers? You know, it might be an obvious one, but I, I would love to ask them, like, what it was like the first time they took flight. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that feeling where, you know, humans have never flown before and, and they've been working on this thing and all of a sudden they take off. And, and when you actually, like, read their story, like, there was no seats, you know, in an airplane. They were actually, like, holding on by with their hands to, like, this airplane. So, like, what was that feeling of, like, getting in the air and what was going through their mind. So that, that's what I would ask him was, what, what was it like on that first flight? I'd say for Howard Hughes, the question would be, where do the ideas come from, right? Like, how do you generate those ideas? That's actually something I've thought a lot about for myself too, how to get to that place mentally where you're just, just generating these constant flow of ideas that you can go and invent. And that's kind of thing that's fun about product development is, you get this idea, you kind of put it on a whiteboard, and then I'm, I'm looking over at the prototype Hello Roller right now on my desk, and I'm like, that thing came out of my head, and we took materials from the earth, and we printed it, and uh, we turned it into a product. And that realization of taking something out of your brain and actually making it something tangible and real is, is really interesting. Absolutely. So what, uh, what book, business book, life book, any book, would you recommend to our listeners? So I, I, I mean, I already mentioned The Wright Brothers by David McCullough, but I'll, I'll say one more. Another book that I, I learned a lot from um, is the book Titan by Ron Chernow. 
And it's the biography of John Rockefeller. And just again, another fascinating entrepreneurial story of this guy who, you know, founded Standard Oil and just created this empire that even today, you know, in, in terms of relative size, like we, we haven't really seen companies at that scale. And so a fascinating book. I, I tend to learn a lot more lessons from like biographies like that than I, I do from like self-help or advice books. I kind of find those self-help books to be all the same after you've read a few, they feel like the exact same advice, but I love reading these like real life biographies of, of, you know, people who have built incredible things in the past. So I, I'd recommend Titan uh, by Ron Chernow. I'd recommend um, anything by Ryan Holiday as he's an author that I really like. As a matter of fact, he has a new book out and I have, I've got the audio book and I haven't listened to it yet because I've been so busy, but I really enjoyed that book. Um, a book that really stuck with me too is a book that I'm trying to look over at it right now on my bookshelf. So I apologize, but it's a, by, by Jocko Willink, who's a former Navy SEAL. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Discipline Equals Freedom that left a really deep impression on me. And I think is really important for entrepreneurs. As entrepreneurs, we're, we can be a little bit all over the place. Uh, and uh, we need to be more disciplined as entrepreneurs. We'll, we'll have a lot more success as entrepreneurs if we are disciplined. And that was the, a big takeaway I took from that book is I needed to up my game on discipline uh, in order to be more successful. Well, Jocko is definitely the man for that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, so what advice would you guys give to a new inventor or entrepreneur that's looking to launch their innovation? I, I would, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I, I would say like to get it in front of people, you know, I think we're programmed as humans to be afraid of failure. It's just a total natural thing to feel and afraid of like getting difficult feedback. And so, you know, whether it's a new invention or a business or, you know, almost anything new we try in life, I think, I feel like we kind of gingerly step out there and I try to remind myself, like, get this in front of people, learn and when I fail, because like, that's certainly going to happen, like to not take it so personally, or feel like that's the end, but, but that it's just a, a learning uh, lesson that I can take and, and improve things. And so I would say, get it in front of people as soon as possible so you can learn and, and improve things. Yeah. I would say I just got a text from a, one of my renters who just um, distracted me there. So I apologize, but um uh, I, I, I echo what Ken just said. So it's um, validation. Uh, at one point, we took a prototype, a 3D printed prototype of the Hello Roller, and we took it into a gym. I knew the gym owner. I'm like, hey, we, I just want to sit here and have people roll on this thing. and I want to have them use it. And I want to have them talk to me about it and what they hate about it and what they like about it. And I recorded all of those interactions. And there was some stuff from that day of just sitting there and letting you know, 30, 40, 50 people roll on the thing. There was a lot of stuff that we learned from that, right? Like there was uh, ways that the wheels connected to the central hub that didn't people didn't like it. And uh, there was a piece that broke that we didn't think was going to be a problem. And we learned a ton from that day of, of validation. Um, I'll, I'll call it the day of validation, right? And we've had other days too that we've gone with further iterations of the product and we've had a, gone and tested it. That's extremely important. And what Ken said, I think just I'll echo that as well, which he said is just don't be afraid that someone's not going to like it or is going to give you negative feedback. That's extremely important to get that type of feedback, right? The other quick thing I'll say on that too is there's no such thing uh, as uh, a product, a product launch without a marketing plan. You have to have a marketing plan to take products to market. And so there's a lot of, as a matter of fact, I've seen this a lot. Purple was this way. Uh, there's a lot of 
billion dollar ideas that are collecting dust on a shelf. And Purple was to some degree collecting dust on a shelf. Uh, that company's market cap right now is like 1.5 billion. It's a publicly traded company. That company didn't exist in 2015. And uh, and it was essentially just sitting there kind of collecting dust on the shelf. So uh, you got to have a marketing plan that comes along with these inventions. Uh, and it's got to be a really well thought out marketing plan, how you're going to take it out and you're going to get people to actually buy because really nobody does anything until somebody buys something. Exactly. So what's one invention that's made your life easier during the pandemic? Sweatpants. Um, for me, it's, it's, uh, and I say that jokingly, but, but, but also seriously, I, I always joke with my wife every morning that I got to get my work pants on and then I'll put on my most comfortable sweatpants and, and go down to the computer. But, but my serious answer, you know, along the lines of the Hello Roller, like we invented the Hello Roller to give relief to people who suffer you know, with muscle soreness and, and, you know, any kind of back pain or something. I, I do a lot of competitive triathlon and Ironman racing. And so, you know, I use things like, like, you know, my, like a Theragun or, or like they even have these compression booties you put your legs in and that help relieve muscle soreness. And so any products like that, you know, like the Hello Roller that can relieve pain and tension uh, really has made a big impact on my life. Yeah. I'd say the same thing. It's, it's that product Hello Roller products like Hello Roller helping relieve pain. Uh, uh, but in, any invention that I've worked with that just makes my life, Easier. It sounds really cliche, but I would, I mean, I would say like, like my iPhone has made my world has completely changed my world, right? Like, like it has most people too, just in terms of work. I mean, I can almost work off of my iPhone anywhere and you have all these applications that you can use there, Zoom and just the amount of work I get done just through a text message where, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, we would have said, well, we got to set up a meeting to discuss that. We don't do that anymore. We still do that, but not to the extent that maybe we did before we were just like, Hey, I can simply just answer this question over a text, right? So that that type of technology is has been really beneficial to me. But at the same time, uh, I need a good roller, like a Hello Roller, to really help with my back. I got a standing desk. A standing desk is probably another one. Uh, it makes me get out of my seat. I stand up. That helps my back a lot. But at the end of the day, I still need a Hello Roller to to really help roll out my back, especially my lower back. It's great for hamstrings and calves shoulders. Uh, and, and I really need that product and it's been a, a relief. I think a lot of people need that product. So really excited that getting the opportunity here. So last question in the launch round, and I know the campaign just launched this past week, but really interested to hear both of your takes in terms of what does the future of crowdfunding look like? You know, one of the things I hear all the time about crowdfunding is, is that people feel like they've been burned in the past, where there's been a lot of campaigns that have launch and, and either have been like long delays in delivering or haven't delivered at all. And so, you know, when we launched Hello Roller, like this is a something that we plan to bring to the market and to make into a business, like regardless of, of the crowdfunding campaign. And I think that's given us an advantage because like the, we're, we're in this thing to deliver and in it for the long game. And so I think as more and more people get into crowdfunding, it's helpful to think, you know, beyond your campaign. Like how do you like what happens if the campaign goes well? What if it doesn't go well? And is this something you're committed to? Because people want to feel like they can trust you. And if they invest in your product, is this something that you're going to deliver on when you say you will deliver? And so we've we've really tried to plan ahead. And and regardless of what happens with our campaign, we're we're, we're moving ahead and we're going to deliver for our customers next year. So I think that's something people want to see. And I don't know what the future is of crowdfunding um, honestly, like crowdfunding is kind of a dark spot on my map. It's not something that I've 
generally have done all that, done campaigns like the one we're doing now, the purple campaign, for example. But it's not like my forte. It's not the thing that I sit there and go, oh, I know exactly how to explain to you how to have the, the perfect crowdfunding uh, campaign. So I don't know what the the future holds for um, for this mean of means of raising money, but it's obviously here to stay as it should be. Uh, it's a great mechanism and a great channel. Uh, we've learned a lot from the process, but uh, what the future holds, I'm not sure. Indeed. Well, gentlemen, this has been amazing. I think our audience is truly going to, you know, really take away a lot from this episode. So would love for you to give your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go and why they should check out Hello Roller. Yeah, go to, I mean, you can Google Hello Roller, uh, H-E-L-L-A-R-O-L-L-E-R. I'm glad I didn't mess that up. Spelling on, on air is always hard, but check out Hello Roller. We'd love for you to come visit our Kickstarter page. As Chris said, this is a product that's super demonstrable. So, you know, come check it out and see what it is and what makes it unique. But we're really confident that if you, you know, give it a chance, if you back our campaign and, and purchase the Hello Roller, that you'll be happy with it. We've tested this out on, you know, old people, young people, active people, people that are, you know, less active. And consistently, we're finding that this gives people the most personalized, customized role that they've ever had. And so pain relief is something that we can all benefit from today. And, and we're really confident that you'll find that with Hello Roller. So please come check us out. Amazing. Well, audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to the campaign over on Kickstarter and everything else we talked about today. And of course, I got to thank our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, the Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Chris, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another amazing episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, show us some love by giving us a great rating on your favorite listening station. And of course, make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the previous episodes. And if you need some help, that's what we're here for. Make sure to send me an email to info at artofthekickstart.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.